Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 120 for January of 2022. Um, we don't have Eric with us. It's me and Garrett. Garrett, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year to you too. You survived the holidays okay? Yeah, yeah, sort of. I mean, I have a four and a six-year-old son. And so as they get older, you know, these holiday things, like, you sort of just live vicariously through them. You know, they get so excited over all the little things, and it's it's fun. Good. This year, um, both my boys and their Christmas haul got all brand new motorcycle riding gear. Actually, I took them to the motorcycle shop, and we looked at riding gear and all sorts of stuff, and... You know, of course, you know, had to sort of help them try it on. And then they really wanted it. They wanted to go home with it. But I'm like, oh, no, we're just, you know, just looking. And so I like, like put him in the car and went back in and paid for this stuff, but just left it there and then picked it up a few days later. So they were surprised on Christmas. They got some riding boots and pants and jerseys. So my goal is to, you know, take them on their first, like, sort of real dirt biking trip this year so in april i think we're gonna go out to the desert and you know that little honda z50 that i restored for my older son i'm still looking for like a yamaha pw50 for my younger one and the pw50s are actually quite a bit smaller than the z50s so they're really good for like a three four year old five year old kids so. and he's got uh the little 60 cc four-wheeler right yes yes it's unbelievable how well he rides that you know i don't know if i ever told you um when they were learning how to ride without training wheels on their bicycles it was my older son was just about the age where he was going to try and ride without training wheels and i think he must have been at the time like four years old and i took the training wheels off of his bicycle my older son and my younger son walked over to it and, and got on the bike. And I was like, oh, no, 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 Hunter. Like, Kel's going to ride that without training wheels. And Hunter got on it, and he just started riding. Like, he had been riding a bike without training wheels his whole life. Just riding around the driveway, no training wheels. Had never done it before. Never crashed. Turned everywhere he wanted to turn. So Hunter, my youngest... He just like has balance and, you know, two wheels sort of just figured out. Well, that's really wild because counter steering and that touch of turning the opposite way to initiate a turn and then letting this, yeah. the handlebars go in the direction of the turn is is not something that's easy to learn. He had it all figured out the second he got on it. And to this day, he's never actually crashed a bike because he like lost control for some reason. It's remarkable how well he is able to control two wheels. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'm really anxious to get him on a little motorcycle. I think he's going to really like it. And granted, the little 60cc quad's narrow. It can go through everything. But it has exactly zero suspension. It's just completely rigid. So the only like suspension that it has is in the tire's it's an ATV and in, in where we ride, it's sort of more suited for single track motorcycle style trails. So the, the, you know, the Z fifties compared to like 
the new, like there's the CRF 50. The CRF 50 is actually a little bit smaller. The Z 50s are kind of big and wide. So like the seat is really wide. Um, my six year old, he can't really put his feet down on the ground very well on a Z 50. So my four year old is just simply too small currently. So I just, I wanted to get him a PW. The PW is just a gas and go. You don't have to shift it, which is helpful because kids riding boots. If you think an adult riding boot doesn't flex, a kid's riding boot is 10 times worse. There is absolutely zero foot movement that can be had in a kid's riding boot. So actually trying to manipulate the brake and the shifter, I think, is going to be really difficult for them in the riding boots. So there's no shifting. It's small enough for my younger son. So I'm sort of just looking for one. They pop up occasionally, but over the past you know, month or two, I think with Christmas and everything else, you know, whatever came onto Craigslist or Facebook marketplace sold pretty fast. So I'm just sort of keeping a loose eye out on the right deal. I don't want to buy a new one because, you know, it's going to get used for a year and then I'll just resell it. And and that's the other thing. The, the, P, the Yamaha PW50 has been unchanged since its inception. I think it came out in like 84 or 85 and it is exactly the same currently. In 2022. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like plastics and seat covers and everything, like, very easy to get. So if I found something that was working but not the prettiest, I could just fluff it up a little bit and, you know, hopefully find something for a little bit better value. Motorcycle prices out here in the West Coast are very expensive. So trying to, even like, a PW50, I feel like in, in the Midwest, you could find one for three or 400 bucks. And out here, it's hard to even find a basket case for $1,000. But I'm looking. I've always been interested in those motors because they're case read motors. Mm-hmm. The car doesn't even go in the bottom of the cylinder. It's actually in the crankcase. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just curious about how they went together. And I was looking at the parts kind of see what the individual components look like so i wasn't looking to buy but i was amazed at how much even like the used parts are for those yeah yeah and you know i don't know why i haven't actually looked but it seems like there would almost have to be knockoff versions of that engine in some sort of like chinese application because it's been around for so long oh yeah there there's uh like uh, places that sells Chinese parts and scooters, one of the big warehouses, actually has a PW50 pattern engine that you can buy, you know, just just buy new. Yeah. But it's expensive. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of that, I, you know, was on Craigslist the other day and, um, of course, making an excuse that my kids need this, but really I just wanted it for myself. You know, I have that little 60cc quad. It's a Yamaha 4Moto. Well, Yamaha made like a three-wheeler version of the same. It's called a Trizinger. And it's the same engine, 60cc, two-stroke, three-wheeler. And this thing has been on Craigslist for like forever. Nobody wants it. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's a basket case. And I can see why nobody wants it. But I'm like really tempted to buy it just so I had the... Trizinger and the Yamaha four moto, the three wheeler and four wheeler combo. Right, because the four zinger is the or from the front of the engine back the same thing. Exactly. Yep. It's all exactly the same. So the, the little four motor has like the truck body looking setup. Which is so cool. Yeah. 
It's just such a cool little thing. It's like so 80s, you know, like back when monster trucks were cool and fresh and like still were sort of a truck. I I think I have shared this story on the podcast before. Uh, A dealership closed when I was in college and I went back after college and they were just opening up under a new name. So it was the same building, but it was a whole new franchise. And the first thing they got shipped, it was the middle of winter and they got some... uh, snowmobiles and crates of the four zingers Mm. so we had four four zingers they took two of them gassed them up and we had this giant warehouse that had a polished concrete floor yeah (laughs) and we had like eight crates with uh snowmobiles in them in the just right in the middle of it well we decided to use that as a flat track for the for the four zingers so we had yeah adults you know the mechanics and me and the salespeople we're taking turns doing oval track races with these. Yeah. I don't think I've ever laughed as hard for as long as I did. And they were surprisingly capable at driving an adult around. We yep. we had a lot of fun on them and they were no worse for wear at the end of the night. Yeah. On my mom's property, she's you know, got a big property and I ride that thing around like it'll carry me through like pretty heavy grass. At a very decent speed all around the property. It's actually pretty shocking, like how well it goes for 60 cc's. You know, it's um, it gets me around just fine. I let my son loose on it a few weeks ago, and uh, I was working in the shop, and my son, I just you know let him get on it and ride it around, and I think he spent probably like a solid hour just turning laps. <laughs> around the property just lap after lap after lap you couldn't get him to turn it off finally he crashed it into a stump and it like you know jarred the handlebars a little bit and then he wanted to take a break but it wasn't long after that he was back on it and riding it around hours and hours again (laughs) so are this the 50 the 60 and the 80 are they the only difference is the bore i mean they're basically the same motor i don't know i don't know that they are of all of the same design centrifugal clutch you know, basically a cylinder and a crankcase with a centrifugal clutch. I don't know if they share the same components, though, like a Honda. You know, like a Honda 50, Honda 70 are exactly the same, just a different cylinder bore. Um, I don't know if that's the same on the Yamahas. I actually haven't ever investigated that. Uh, I just went out and went to Partzilla and looked up the model interchange on the crank. Mm-hmm. It looks like all the QT50s, the Forzinger, the PW50. Yeah, at least the 50s and the 60s are the same crank. So you could take a PW50 and turn it into a 60 pretty easy then. Um, speaking of PW50s, there's a pretty good, like, feel-good YouTube video about a guy. It's actually Aaron Colton, and he is a... Um, I believe he's the uh, professional road racer, like street bike road racer. And he grew up riding a PW50 and um, he bought for his daughter, I think his daughter. And this is um, a YouTube video by Red Bull Motorsports. And it was uh, it was on YouTube about six months ago. So he bought a early 90s PW50 for his daughter and it was his daughter's first motorcycle. But it's kind of a. It's like a history of the PW50 and like his experience with growing up riding motorcycles and like 
you know, never really being the fastest, but having a lot of fun. And it's actually a really good. Um, it's just like a 20 minute kind of feel good, nostalgic look at the PW50. It's worth watching. Um, I think the title is bringing a 1993 Yamaha PW50 back to life. So I think he just does kind of a little he buys it off of Craigslist and it's kind of a basket case and he fixes it up and gives it to his daughter. And it's a pretty cool video. It, the difference is the 80 is chain drive. The 50s and 60s are shaft drive. Oh. That's why they're different. OK, well, I wonder, though, the cylinder. I wonder if the, the cylinder interchanges on them, you know, like the drive is different. But I wonder if the top end is interchangeable. No, they are not the same. I'm, I just looked it up and uh, the 50s and 60s are all the same, but the 80s are different. So mm, interesting. So I I think I don't know if I mentioned on the on the podcast, but maybe I texted you guys. I, there is um, kind of a motorcycle restoration competition. Yes, you talked about it on the last episode. Yeah, we did. So I've been working on that. It's the 2001 KX250, and I got the entire motorcycle stripped like completely into its individual parts. All the master cylinders, calipers, engine, all of it, and sort of like prepped everything. I need to take the frame to get sandblasted, and I have parts on the way. I sort of like I got it all stripped down, and and this happened before. I was working on it like a year ago, and I don't know. I just wasn't really feeling it. And so I, I, you know, put the project on hold and put it up on the shelf. And then there is this competition. And I was like, oh, this is definitely the perfect motorcycle for that competition because it's sort of a motocross group of judges. And, you know, 2001 KX250 is sort of, a you know, sort of an iconic year make and model just because of Ricky Carmichael racing it. But then I got it all stripped down and spent some time on it. And I sort of just lost interest again. Like, I have it at a stage where it's like sort of ready to progress, but I'm not really feeling like working on it. So I've I've sort of just shelved it again. So this competition, essentially, the motorcycle would have to be completed by April 30th in order to like complete the entry. You um, enter the competition, you submit like a beginning video, which I did. And that's just a video of like kind of what you're starting with. And then you finish your restoration and then submit a completed video by April 30th. So I still have time to sort of consider whether or not I want to try and uh, finish it. I got a little bit discouraged because and it might just be like a pandemic thing. But like getting parts is really challenging. Parts that were like readily available a couple of years ago. Now I'm finding there's nothing. A exhaust pipe for a 2001 KX250. Forget about it. Can't find one anywhere. Hmm. And even things that are like not model specific, like rims, spoke sets, things like that. I'm having just a hell of a time finding the rims that I want. You know, I sort of wanted to put an 18 inch wheel on the rear, but like I can find like one black front rim and no black rear rims. 
than like spoke kits. Like I can find like rear spokes, but not front spokes. And so I just sort of got burnt out looking for parts that I couldn't find. Then just sort of got annoyed and shelved the whole thing. So right now that's sort of on hold. I'm still sort of loosely looking for parts that I would need to even be able to finish it. And if I can like find the things, you know, in a reasonable amount of time, then I'll probably continue on with that project. But I've been thinking more about finishing one of my other street bike projects because that's more what I'm interested in versus dirt. And so I wanted to talk to you and Eric about what the project is that I should really finish. So I have the the Kenny Roberts RZ350, but I have another RZ350. Right, the the red, white, and blue one. Yeah, so there's that RZ. And as I recall, that was kind of a track bike. Yes. And a little kind of ratty. Um, yeah, exactly. But it does have a lot of really nice parts on it. Like it has, um, it's like, like most race bikes. They don't yeah, look great. Exactly. Yeah. But it's got like Kawasaki ZX7R rear swing arm and shock on the rear and uh front fork. And it's got big dual front rotors. And like, there's a lot going on there that could be really cool. So that's an option. So there's, I have my other RZ. Of lesser interest to me, I do have a Titan 500 that I thought about putting together. I think I've probably shared this before. Um, sorry, it's a small picture, but I just shared a picture of a Titan 500. And actually, I think this was built local around here. Um, and it's just AirTech streamlining front fairing and fuel tank with a Titan 500 chassis and uh, engine. And I really have everything I would need to build something like this besides the tank and fairing. So I could, you know, build the Titan. I really love the Titan engine. It's got a ton of torque for, you know, a 70s two-stroke. And it's a really fun engine because it's a large displacement. But not the an RD350 with cylinder porting and high compression when, you know, quite entertaining. Um, I also have the GT750 which is an incredible basket case. And it would be an extensive project to make into something that's worth writing. So I have, you know, a few projects and I just need to like figure out which one I want to move forward with, I guess. Yeah. I, as much as I love the GT 750, that's a, a, a challenge. And it sounds like you, yeah. you'd like to put a win in the win column. Yeah. I don't really want to spend two years working on a project. And, you know, the, the the GT750 is fine. Like, I like them. But, like, I'm not really sure I want to spend a year plus and $5,000 to make a motorcycle that's, you know, ultimately just a GT750. Right. Because, I, unfortunately, I think a GT750, unless you do something really radical with it, It'll never be worth what it would take. Right. GT750 stock parts are getting really expensive. Yes. And it is sort of a motorcycle that I wanted. By most people's standards, I think it would just be trash. But when I look at it, everything is there. It just needs to be refinished. You know, it's really not that bad in a way, (laughs) but... Then when I look at it, I'm like, oh, man, this thing is just, I think, 
it has lived its life and I'm not sure it needs to come back for more. <laughs> so I've got that. I've got the, I think, you know, perhaps what I'm most interested in is that RD 350 with the custom frame that I've, yes, yeah, yes, with the mono shock. And I also have, you know, the, the front forks, I forget what model they came off of. They're sort of like one of the original anti-dive front forks, and they have solenoids on them that are activated by a um, brake light switch. And they're really neat forks. I have clip-ons for them. Um, they're all gold. Like, they all look kind of like billet. And they have the like the front um, solenoids on the front, and they still work, too. But it's kind of like the original anti-dive front fork. Um and I have a set of those that I was going to put on it. Are they like uh, FC750 forks? Because I know they had if the you electric. If told me the acronym for the system, I would remember it. Like, uh... But I don't remember. It's been so long since I looked at them now. Because everybody had it for a while, and they all came up with clever acronyms. Right. That one was interesting because they used an electric solenoid rather than brake pressure. Suzuki and Kawasaki had extra brake lines that went to them. Uh Hondas, theirs, when you grab the brakes, the rotor would rotate enough that it would close a valve. They they called it track, torque reactive anti-dive control. Yeah, these ones are the electric solenoids. And I'm pretty sure that's what the FZ had. For that motorcycle, I have virtually everything I need for it. Complete engine. I've got... DG heads that have never been mounted, a brand new set of pipes. Like, I've got a lot of really cool parts for it. So that could be a really cool project. Yeah, and and I know you've you've wanted to get at that. Mm -hmm. Even the pictures that you showed me, what, five years ago, that you kind of had a too long a front end on it. That's that's a really cool frame. Yes, 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 yes. Um, The front end. So I was trying, initially I was going to take a set of motocross front forks and shorten them. You know, like they do the GP450 motorcycles where they take a dirt bike and, right. and pretty much like put fairings on it mm-hmm. and shorten mm-hmm. the front forks. Because I had this massive, like 320 millimeter Supermoto EVC front rotor, and I was going to shorten the front forks and just have like one huge front rotor. Um, with spoked wheels to just kind of give it an old, you know, 70s look. But then I figured I had those, you know, anti-dive front forks, and I thought that they would actually be really cool on it, and I could have twin front discs. So that's kind of the direction that I decided to go with it. Yeah, I mean, I've got everything. I've got the wheels, I've got brakes, I've got the complete engine, pipes, I got it all. On your RD, you wanted to put an air-cooled engine in that, right? Yes, yes. I have a RD 350 engine, and, and I actually already have pistons for it. I've got everything for the engine. Like I said, I've got the, you know, the gold DG heads that are brand new. So, like, I've got a lot of really cool parts. Didn't you say, though, that you've got a Banshee or an RZ motor already built? I do, but... I, w- I don't want to put a radiator on that. Right, right. Um, I would entertain the idea on something that had fairings um, where you can hide that radiator, but I'm not going to put fairings on this motorcycle, and I think I would just prefer to leave it air-cooled. And also, 
I think, builds entirely. This motorcycle might only weigh just over 200 pounds, 215 pounds or something. That's amazing. Yeah, so it'll be incredibly lightweight. And with, you know, porting and high compression, and I've got uh, some 34-millimeter carburetors that I would put on it, you know, it's probably going to be in the 70 horsepower range, you know, and only 220, 215 pounds. So it's got a wider swing arm on it. It's got a big sticky rear tire and it would have a modern sized front tire. I think it would be a really neat motorcycle. I'm going to encourage you to go with that one just because I know you've wanted to do it a long time. And it sounds like you're going to end up with the coolest result when you get all done. Because that custom frame and, and custom... It would be very unique. Yeah, yeah. I have it mocked up actually with a set of Banshee cases and cylinders in it. Are the mounting points on all the RDs and RZs and Banshees all the same? No. No, okay. No, R- RZs and Banshees are the same. RDs are completely different. Okay. But, you know, dimensionally, they're all the same. So it's really just a difference in mounts. It would be a pretty simple adjustment. Right. It's just a question of putting the mounts where you need them, but they're but they, it's not a bolt-in right. swap between the two of them. Right. It's cool looking, even with the kind of pseudo supermoto stance that you've got as tall as it sits. Yeah. Well, you know, my original idea for it was to put up swept pipes on it, you know, kind of like the Yamaha TDM. TDR250? Yeah, TDR250. Right. Um, you know, some upright pipes. But um, I think in the way this is set up, I think it's almost right. But like the front does need to be dropped more. I just think it will be a little bit better to do the other street bike forks that I have. And, and I'm just going to I have a set of pipes for it that, you know, go underneath the motorcycle. I've got rear sets for it. I, I can see looking at this picture why... You wouldn't want to put a radiator on the front of it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think it would take away too much from it. And you can't really see in the pictures, but like this frame, like, I don't know who did this frame, but it's raw and it was um, always raw. Someone went over all the welds with a TIG torch and made all the welds beautiful, rebuilt the whole rear subframe. The rear taillight is integrated into the subframe. It's pretty neat. And then they handmade the rear tail piece that fits the subframe. It's got the YZ um, aluminum fuel tank on it. You'd only you'd have to do something about the seat. <laughs> yes. Yes. The seat needs to be changed. Um stick with these spoke wheels. I yeah, I want I to. like I like them. I think they look I like neat the on spoke there. Yeah. yeah, I built those. Um, actually, I built those wheels for a Supermoto project for a friend that never ended up getting finished. But I um, kept the wheels and uh, they're, you know, laced with stainless spokes, gold nipples, some really nice pro wheel wheels, some forged wheels on them. They're a really neat set of wheels. So I think they're and like I just I like the spoked look. Yeah, that's a that's a cool bike. Yeah. If you're listening to this, go to Hooniverse.com or go to our Facebook page and you, you can see this picture that we're looking at that's not what it will look like, but it's the current state of it. So Yeah. But yeah, that's my that's my vote right there. Yeah, maybe I'll work on that. I have not done anything 
because the 15th of December, just after our last episode came out, I went under the knife because I had uh, melanoma that needed to be removed. And without going into too many personal details of my medical procedures, I have been forbidden from working in any place dirty while awaiting skin grafts. They kind of have to do it all in stages and it takes a couple weeks. And I just got the final procedure. And uh, meanwhile, you, you, you have what amounts to open wounds during that time. They kind of deliberately prevent things from adhering and healing while they work their magic. But I'm to the point now where, as of the end of last week, everything is now all sewn up. I just have to wait for some incisions to heal and get some stitches out. I'm going to be back in business. But while I was going stir-crazy, basically, wanting to do something, I did spend a lot of time looking at eBay and... On my Aramaki Ducati project, the original 73-74 Harley Sprint tanks are rare. Everything that comes out is rusty, and they're incredibly expensive. And uh, with the seat unit that I'm using, they're too short. I needed something that was going to be a little longer. But the way the frame tubes go in a straight line from the headstock straight back to where the rear shocks are. And so they're really wide in the midsection. In doing a bunch of measuring and looking at different things, the petcock ends up right where the frame tube is. So you need something with forward petcocks that's wide at the front. The one thing that I thought looked like the affordable option was a Benelli Mojave 250 or 360, which is the darling of hipster builds everywhere because Benelli built way too many of these. They had so many new old stock fuel tanks. They, first of all, put them on like a whole bunch of other models. If you look through 60s Benelli's, a lot of them have the same tank. And they sold a whole, must have been a just pallets of them, to a company in New Jersey called Cosmopolitan Motors that sold a bunch of smaller Italian brands and had a mail order division. And they sold these tanks and seats as generic cafe racer seats in their catalog up through the early 80s. They didn't mention what it was or anything like that. It was just a steel cafe body. So this, these were like from the 60s, maybe early 70s. And when I was working in motorcycle dealerships in the mid 80s, these tanks were still for sale from Cosmopolitan Motors, which is why they ended up being so popular. Uh, I, I think it was, uh, uh, I can't think of his first name, Hageman, one of the first guys that started doing custom Virago cafe racers started using them and everybody liked the look and they're, they're cool looking, but originally they were just cheap tanks that you could find real easily for years. Well, when these dried up, a bunch of places started manufacturing them repops that are made in India or, or Eastern Europe or Asia. And most of them aren't quite the same. A lot of them have petcocks farther back. A lot of them, have uh, the inside shape is different. 
the originals what I needed because I needed the petcocks forward and I needed the wider front, but they only hold like two gallons. They look huge, but there's a huge hole down the, like the center tunnel is most of the size of the tank. But anyways, as I was sitting around, I was like, darn it, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something to make some progress. Yeah. So I went ahead and ordered one of those. I found one for 126 bucks shipped, and it's one of the original new old stock, never used, doesn't have the cap. It, it still has the original 360 badges on it, but one of them obviously got hot at some point and slid down, so it's not in the right spot and kind of rotated. But anyways, so I did that. The only thing I was able to do was open up the box, take the tank out, and set it on the bike. But I think it's going to work great once I get a uh, you know upholstered seat on it and stuff. I think I can I can make it look good. Mm-hmm. Also, while I was out on eBay, one of the articles I wrote for Hooniverse years ago was about uh, what they call the Rotax 486, which was a 500 two-stroke single. And I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, I chased down a guy in England that built a a single-cylinder 500 two-stroke road racer out of this engine. Incredibly rare. I think they built less than a thousand of these engines. They only put it in the bikes for a couple of years. And by that time, Armstrong was building Can-Ams under, they were actually Armstrongs and Can-Am slapped their name on them and sold them in North America. But this Rotax engine, I think, was only in production for like two or three years. Very, very rare. There is one on eBay right now. The guy wants over five grand for it. It's like $5,400 or best offer. So I'm assuming you could get one for five grand. Not that I would actually ever spend that much money on it. But if I ever wanted one, everything I've read about these motors, they were just tractors. They, They made an... Almost as much power as a lot of like the Mako and the KTM and the CR500, but they had so much low-end torque and had such a wide power band that it was an awful, awful motocross bike. They handled awful, the suspension was awful, but the engine was really good. The best engine in the worst motorcycle. That would be really cool to get that motor and put it in something. Mm-hmm. Um. A friend of mine, the same guy that I told you had the streaker for sale, mm-hmm. collector that has a really nice Pultaco streaker that I had to turn down. Yeah. I found out he also has a 350 Matador that's in all restored except original paint on it. Mm. And he wants like half of what he wanted for the streaker. Mm. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So that must be quite tempting. I've spent the last three weeks just tempting myself with all kinds of window shopping. Right. Because I haven't been able to work on anything, so. Yeah. That's a problem. When you're not able to distract yourself with working on things and you distract yourself with all the parts you want to buy, then you end up spending a bunch of money. I've I've been talking myself out of buying that Benelli 250 frame. It's from the same people that I've bought a bunch of other stuff from. It's like a hundred bucks. Yeah. And I've, I've been ready to pull the trigger like five or six times. If I had a place to put it, I would get it and stash it somewhere. Yeah. I literally have one frame that's hanging in front of my shelf unit in my workshop because I don't have any place to put anything. So I was kind of like, well, 
it's going to be a hassle, but I want to get that and either put like a Banshee motor in it. Mm -hmm. Or I talked last time about how cool I think the original ATC 250R motor is. Yeah. But those are getting hard to find. It's like $500 just for a bottom end. So, yeah. Well, the Banshees, they made them for so long, you know, 87 to, well, at least 2006 over here. But I think maybe they made them longer in Brazil. Has it really been since 2006 that they've been out of production? Yeah. I would have guessed a couple years at least later than that. So, No, over in the U.S. it was 2006. But I know you can get pretty much anything you want for those aftermarket. Yes. It's kind of like the blaster motor. They're modern enough that people are still actively building them and rebuilding them. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing about that Can-Am, that Rotax 486 is there'd be no parts. There, right. there would be nothing available from anybody ever. So. Oh, that reminds me. I have that RMX 250. It's a 92 Suzuki RMX 250. Uh, oh, yeah, with the real 80s graphics on it. Yeah. And uh, I took the whole engine apart, and the power valves are completely disintegrated. Really? I know you said they were problematic in that design. Yes, so. and so the power valves would have to be replaced you can still get the parts, but they're very expensive. And the power valves are like two cylindrical valves. And um, the bores that the power valves go in are like not in the greatest shape. And so if I spent a bunch of money to put new power valves in it, the bores that they ride in are a little bit questionable. So you'd probably have to machine it and put in like some kind of a, like a stainless sleeve or something uh, to... I'm not sure I want to do anything like that. Right, right. <laughs> so, is it, so is this is this motor a write-off? It might be. So does it going to... A Predator motor? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm not sure what to do with it yet. Um, I really wanted to, like, you know, have the motorcycle riding and running, but I'm just not sure it's worth the effort. But I, I just, I need to think about it some more. I haven't decided yet. But that was kind of a disappointment to figure out. Now, could could you uh, put a Banshee motor in that and put up pipes on it and make a uh, a twin cylinder uh, could. dirt bike out of it? I sure could. Yeah. <laughs> that would be uh, <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure how practical it would be, but it would yeah, be interesting. Not very practical. Not very practical. Unless you made like a sand drag bike out of it or something, yeah. you know. But why, why would you do that instead of just starting with, you know, like an RZ frame or something? So Yeah, exactly. Could you, could you modify the frame and do like a 140cc or 190 Daytona motor or something? You know, one of, one of those in there. Yeah. Those things actually have quite a bit of power. Oh, at, at some point in my life, I'd love to have one of those in a street bike. Yeah. Yeah, there's this um, company, they're called um, Loco ATC, and they take, they actually nowadays manufacture their own frame, but it's based off of a Honda 70cc three-wheeler. ATC 70. Yeah, yeah. And they take those three-wheelers, so they modify them, so it has like a swing arm that they build with like a really good shock on it. They put like big front forks on them. And put paddle tires and like a really large like ATV style 
front tire, but it's a three-wheeler, so there's just a one tire. And then they put those, like, 190cc Daytona engines in them. Like, I've seen videos of me riding through the dunes, and I mean, like, maybe like 60 miles an hour <laughs> through the dunes on these little tiny three-wheelers. It's insane. They're so fast. Yeah, those... 190s are just, man, they make some power. It's actually kind of surprising. Now, I know they have the four valve, but there's a two valve. I think it's a, a Longchen. Mm-hmm. Zongshen. They make, they make a, yeah, a Zongshen. two valve 190 that evidently is a little bit more reliable. It doesn't make quite as much power, Yeah, but it's a little bit more reliable. Yeah. And a little bit cheaper. Not a lot cheaper, but a little. Yeah. Well, because the Daytona 190s are actually pretty expensive engines. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's called the Piranha. That's what it is. A Piranha 190 that is a two-valve derivation of that. But here's one on eBay. $1,300. Yeah. Yeah, they're steep. But it, it'd still be fun to play with. And in the whole scheme of things, $1,300 for a, a motor is not unreasonable. Right. If you were doing a full custom build of something, so for sure, especially you can just bolt it in and go. You don't have to actually like take it apart to modify things. Yeah, I can't think of the name of the company, but somebody builds like a three-quarter scale road racer that uses the Daytona motor. Yes, yeah, and they look like a blast. I mean, they they're really they're do. legitimately fast, and they're like legitimate racers. Like these are race bikes. And I know, um, I think that they actually like competitively race them overseas. But there's also a company over here that builds, I think they build like a flat track kind of dirt track one with that that style of engine. Yeah, I'm trying to, I, I, I think Motorcyclist or one of those did a uh, a YouTube video of them out on a track with that. It's it's oval or ovale, yeah. O h v a l e, shockingly fast. Yes, and they are they're not like pocket bikes. They're bigger than a pocket bike, but they're smaller than a full size. You know, like what what a two fifty would be. But it's like a little mini road race bike. They've got slicks on them, and I don't know what size the tires are. They're like twelve inch tires on them. Um. But they're designed for adults to ride. Yeah. And everything I've heard is when you get out on the track with them, it's not like it's, oh, just kind of, you know, a knock around, fun diversion, silly little novelty. It's like, no, this is a serious road racer. This is, this like keeps up with a lot of like, you know, Ninja 250s and stuff like that because it's a purpose built road racer with really high quality components. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are shockingly fast. 24 horsepower. Yeah. They're keeping up with 250s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are pretty cool. Considering we didn't know what we were going to talk about this month, I think we have... Uh, yeah, we did okay. We didn't have a shortage of things, but we never do. I mean, I right. that, that's the whole reason I continue doing this podcast is I look forward to just talking to you guys and... Yeah, seeing what we come up with to talk about because I don't have a lot of people in my day to day life that are willing to sit and talk motorcycles for an hour. <laughs> so you feed my obsession. 
Yeah, nobody at my work has any interest in motorcycles. No one around me really has any interest in motorcycles. So coming on here is like really the only time I actually get to talk about it. I mean, my wife and other casual friends all ride spiders. Yeah. So on the three-wheel side, there's plenty of people who will get excited about that with me. But as soon as I start talking about bikes, they kind of glaze over. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thanks again. And hopefully we'll have uh, Eric next month. Yep. And to everybody else, thanks for listening. Garrett, thanks for doing this with me. And we'll see you all next month. So long. <laughs>